You're listening to Live 360 with Tony Sutherland, and this is episode number five. guys let's jump on in today we've been talking about head drama learning how to deal with the mental battles that we face every day now before i continue i just want to encourage you wherever you are right now if you're riding in a car if you're riding on a commute a bus if you're taking a walk if you're exercising and you've chosen to listen to this podcast whatever you're doing i want to encourage you right now for the next 30 or so minutes to focus all right Let's be about the task at hand, and the task is focusing, learning how to get your mind to stay on a topic. Boy, that's been a challenge for me for many years. I am creative, I'm imaginative, and so sometimes I tend to veer off in daydream. A lot of that comes with attention deficit personality. Some of you even have a disorder, and that's that's not a bad thing. It just means you need to learn how to focus and get skills on focus. And so let this be a practice for you so that if, as you learn how to focus and, and make your mind focus on one thing, it's actually going to cross over and help you deal with anxieties and fears because a lot of times anxiety and fears have to do with your imagination wandering off. And sometimes it's those fears and worries that can distract us from the main thing that we are setting our hands and our lives to do for a moment. So let this be a practice. Let's just get good solid tools for focusing. Listen, if a thought comes up in your mind, dismiss it immediately because I promise you if it's important enough, it will return. There's just so many propensities that we have to start calling people and thinking we got to write this note down and taking our phones out and adding something to the to-do list and and worrying about something that we may have forgot to pick up or go to the grocery store, whatever it is, learn how to focus and pay attention to the task at hand. Our key verse has been blessings are on the head of the righteous. That scripture is very intentional. It doesn't say blessings are on the heart or in the heart of the righteous, although they are. Blessings are in the hands of the righteous, although they are. This verse is specifically speaking to the very center of all our life, our minds, our thoughts, our imaginations. And so we're going to deal with that today. We're going to talk more about that because most tension seems to land right all in your head. I I make this statement, it's all in your head. It really is. Everything is in your head. And I'm here to tell you today If you haven't learned how to deal with the small things that come along the way, earlier on we talked about smaller things and lesser distracting, lesser, um, you know, impactful things in our lives, emotional intelligence, and then we started moving into fear, anxiety, and worry. I shared a little bit last week about, you know, how I came into the revelation of grace, and I'll be talking a whole lot more about that, but we're dealing now more with head drama. The, the real mental battles that we face. And I'm telling you, learning how to deal with small things along the way, just like I talked about a few minutes ago, focusing, learning how to get your mind off of the things that distract you 
Those little things that we work on every day, those are like pebbles in our shoe. But when the mountain comes, we're not going to be able to face and deal with the mountain unless we've dealt with the pebble in our shoe. You know, King David defeated the giant, but he first had to defeat a lion and a bear. And he had to learn how to protect his sheep. And he had to learn how to shoot a slingshot with little stones. He had to use the little stones in his life to overcome the giants that he would face eventually one day. And Goliath, by the way, was the first giant. There were many giants in his life. They may not have come in the same form, but there were some big giants out there. And I'm here to tell you, the giants aren't out there somewhere out in front of you. They're inside you, inside your mind. Most tension, all the tension that we have in life, it lands on our head. You know, like when we try to grab our sunglasses or our glasses and take them off our head, like there's a little knob there that'll turn it down. That's not going to work. We've got to learn how to deal with the small things each and every day before we take down the giants because there are some giants. And we're going to talk about what Jesus did for us today with his blood, how he ransomed us and purchased our peace of mind uh, through his work, his finished work. All of this reminds me of a story that I heard many years ago about a man who was uh, on a military term in the Orient. And uh, as he was walking through his town where his base was stationed, he, de he decided, I'm going to go in and get me a tattoo. You know, that's what young soldiers did a lot back in those days. And, and they do a lot today, too, probably more today than they did back then. And uh, he goes into this tattoo parlor and the little Oriental man is over there working on someone else's arm. And so he kind of starts looking through some pictures and he sees this tattoo that says born to lose. That was a popular tattoo back in the 50s and 60s, if uh, those of you who didn't know that. In fact, my father-in-law has that tattoo on his arm. And uh, it just says born to lose. It was kind of a tough guy's uh, statement. I'm born to lose and uh, die to win or something like that. But anyway, the tattoo said born to lose. And he thought, I'm going to get that on my arm. And, and as he approached the man after he finished with the client and the customer before him, he sat down in the chair and he asked the, the Oriental uh, tattoo artist, he said, why would anybody want born to lose on their arm anyway? Why is that so popular? And the Oriental man adjusted his glasses on the end of his nose and he said, before tattoo on arm, tattoo on mind. And isn't that so true of so many of us that some of us are just tattooed in our brains that life is not going to work out. So we wear this tattoo on our lives, born to lose, born to, born to uh, experience the worst, born to fail, born to lose out, born for everything to fall apart around me. No, guys, Jesus came to give us life, not loss. He lost for us so that we could win. He died so that we could live. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 34, he said, do not worry about tomorrow. Don't, let's just talk, take all the things that we're worried about, all the things that we tend to just panic over and be afraid of. Jesus said, don't even worry about tomorrow. Let's just talk about the day after today. Let's get all the other things that you're worried about. Don't even worry about tomorrow. And what that means is that 
G- Jesus knows that we deal mostly in the area and the realm of uncertainty. We make up stuff. We, we roll the three-minute movie. We cast the actors and the script and the scroll of all of the credits roll in our mind, the end of the movie, and it's all a tragedy at the end of the movie. It's always the worst case scenario. 90% of the time, people that deal with fear, when I was dealing with fear, it was always the worst case scenario, believing that the worst is yet to come. And I believe that the best is not yet to come. The best is now. Our best life is right now. Whatever you're dealing with, if it's fear and worry, nine times out of 10, I can tell you it's not because you're being attacked by a mugger. It's because you're afraid you're going to get attacked by a mugger. It's the uncertainty. It's the worry about what will happen that never even happened. We talked a little bit about it last time, overthinking. It's that art of creating problems that don't exist, probably never never will exist or have never existed. Um, some of the crazy things that we think about really have to do with what if? What if this happens? Well, why not say, what if this good thing happens? What if, what if God's best thing is right around the corner for me? That's the way God wants us to think. He wants us to get our expectancy up. Because if Jesus tells us not to worry about tomorrow, there must be something he knows about tomorrow that we don't. You know, the truth is, is when we worry, what we're doing is we're choosing to believe either a lie of the enemy or choosing to believe in something that isn't even real. It's a, it's a scenario. Maybe we saw it happen in a movie. Maybe we heard about it happening to somebody else. And Hollywood has created this great uh, collage of illusions that could happen. We've got these movies playing in our mind of all the possible scenarios that usually go downhill downhill and down to hell. And I'm just telling you guys, you don't have to think about what will happen. You can think about what has happened. Jesus has cleared the slate of your past, your sins. He has made your future incredible. And that's what you need to start thinking. That's what I need to start thinking. Start believing in the best case scenario for your life. You know, we, we should know by now that worry doesn't help, add to, cure, or solve anything. Worrying doesn't make the problem better. Worry doesn't give you options. Worry doesn't give you an equation to fix it. Worry just adds more emotional intensity and draw and drain the energy out of you that God would rather have you focusing on for joy, for excitement, for enthusiasm, for passion. You've just got to refuse to let those poke holes of worry into your life to where you leak out all of the divine life and joy that Jesus has already provided for you. He's And, and he's promised that he would be with you. You know, um, I heard it said the other day that there are 365 do not fears from the Lord in the Bible, but there's actually 366, which means there's one for leap year. My son made that aware, made me aware of that the other day. He said, wow, dad, that means it even covers leap year. Absolutely. The, the, the phrase, do not fear, do not be afraid, appears for every day and every situation and circumstance in our life. 
Worry is a total waste of time. And if you don't know that, you're going to waste your time doing it. But the first way to stop worrying, or one of the first ways to stop worrying, is to understand that it's a total waste of time, that it doesn't solve any problems, that it doesn't give us options, and it doesn't give us a plan to figure it out. It just keeps our mind focused on something that is uncertain, that may not happen, and probably won't. And you know what? I'm here to tell you today, worst case scenario, if it does happen, God will give you grace when you get there. Do you know that God will not leave you abandoned in your time of need? When you get to that situation that is about to take you down, and these are things that the Lord was having to show me during this time, and say these things to me, and speak to me, and and help me process and make it through this season of anxiety and fear and panic attacks, he was basically telling me, Tony, listen, I'm going to be with you no matter what. You shouldn't worry about it, but if you want to think about it, I'm telling you when you get there, grace will be there. Grace will be there when you get there. I'll give you grace when you get there. That's a powerful statement. You need to remember that. You need to write that down. Maybe use it as a prompt, as we talked about several podcasts ago. Put it on your mirror. Put it as a visual prompt that when you are stressed, when you are worrying, when you are under panic, when, you are, when, you're, when you're going through that moment when your heart begins to race and you start going down those mental roads, stop, bring your mind back, take a deep breath, breathe prompt, take a breath, and say, God will give me grace when I get there. I'm not there. I'm imagining this. This is not real. This is a lie and this is a false imagination. I don't have to go through this door. I don't have to walk down this path. I don't have to be drug around by my fearful emotions. The one thing that is real right now is that God is with me and he has promised me a bright future. You need to say things like this to yourself. This isn't automatic. It's a process. Sometimes it takes time. I've heard people say, why isn't this working? You know, I do, a, I do this all the time. Let's be honest. Do you really do it all the time or do you spend more time worrying and pleading with God to take the fear away? You know, fear is not a bad emotion. It actually can be good in certain situations to keep us from doing stupid things and from hooking up with the wrong people and from being too impulsive. You know, the younger we are, the more impulsive we are and the more crazy things we attempt to do that as we get older... We, we, know, we know better and we've kind of slowed down and we're less impulsive and quick and reactionary. But it doesn't, fear is an emotion that's okay to have, but we don't need to focus on the fear. We need to focus on the promises of God and what he has said and what he has done. This is so powerful. Guys, listen to me. You need to hear this. Worrying is a total waste of time. 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says, God has not even given us this spirit of fear. Sometimes we feel like the fear is a, a warning from God. No, God doesn't give us a fearful warning. God gives us a loving instruction, good advice, solid and sound instruction. And the Proverbs say, my son, listen to sound instruction. Don't be afraid. Don't be paranoid. Just choose wisdom. I like to say it this way, release fear and embrace wisdom. Let me say that again. Release fear and embrace wisdom. Wisdom doesn't make us afraid. It gives us hope. 
It's like, man, if I actually embrace the good things that God has told me to do, great things will happen. So that's how we get away. One way we get away from fear is to begin to embrace the wisdom that God has given us, knowing that if we're following him, then we're going to avoid the pitfalls. If we follow the promise, we'll skip the pitfalls. And sometimes, yes, we may fall into a pit at no fault of our own. Maybe sometimes we get in a conundrum or a situation, but God will get us out of the pit as well. But it doesn't add to our life or help us by, by being afraid and, and, and embracing fear. Fear is not a shovel to get out of the pit. Praise is a way to get out of the pit. Being practical is a way to get out of the pit. Um, paying attention is a way to get out of the pit. Having friends and connections and prayer is a way to get out of the pit. And sometimes the pit will teach us things, but fear does not have to accompany us when we're going through trouble because we got enough trouble. We don't need to add to it with more worrisome emotions and fears and uncertainties and mental projections of things that have not even happened yet. You know, Isaiah 41 and 10 is one of my favorite passages of scripture. It says, do not fear. There's one of those 366 do not fears. It says, do not fear. Why? For I am with you. Sometimes we wonder, God, where are you? And the reason why we don't see him is because he's everywhere. He's God. He's just, he's more tangible than he is visible. If that, it can even make sense. It's a walk of faith. And he wants to remind us, I know you think I'm not there, but boy, am I more there than ever before. Do not fear for I am with you. I like to put different inflections when I read the word of God to emphasize more of that promise. There's more in the promise than just the phrasing. It's the way we read it. And, and I like to, in, to put different emphasis and different points of strength on certain words. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I'm your God. I'm still God. I know maybe you did fail somewhere. Maybe you did mess up. Maybe you did make a wrong decision. Maybe you're in a situation now because it is your own fault. Maybe you jumped into the pit yourself. But he said, don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I'm still your God, and I will strengthen you and help you I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There's that word again, righteous, that we read differently under the new covenant. Blessings are on the head of the righteous. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. His right hand means his favor is still on your life. Whenever you read the, the phrasing right hand, that's a symbol of God's strength and favor in your life. You know, David said in Psalms 27 and 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. In other words, he's my direction and my foundation. He's my grounding and my, my perspective. And he said, so then he said, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In other words, he's saying, if God really is with me and God has promised that he's with me, no matter what I'm facing, no matter what situation I'm going through, I don't have to be afraid. That is a promise of God and we need to hold on to it because I'm telling you it's in those times that you need to learn how to access promises from the word of God and understand that his favor has not left your life just because you don't feel it. His direction, 
his security, his promises, his provision will not leave your life, especially in the time of trouble. His word tells us he's a present help in the time of trouble. And it doesn't mean that he needs you to help him, that he's going to give you the answer. Sometimes when the trouble still seems right there, we need to say, okay, God, you do it. Because the thing is, we're asking God to do it right now and to give us the answers and to give us a solution and give us a divine insight and, and, and solve it and get it over with quickly. But what he promises to do is to help. Now let him help. You know, when you, when you use your hands, God doesn't use his, but when you fold, when you stop using your hands, God will use his. And, and I say it like this. I say it in one of my books that I've written. I say, when we rest, God works. When we work, God rests. And yes, there are practical things that he will call us and tell us to do. But at times when we don't know what to do, let's not do anything. Let's wait on God and trust that he will help us as he promised. Hey guys, let's take a quick rest stop. Uh, I want to remind you if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, want to encourage you to subscribe and leave us a review. Those two important things help us bring more awareness to the platform so that we can share more content with more people and help folks discover how to have peace and joy in every area of their life. You know, I've been through a lot and I just want to come along, put my arm around you, encourage you and give you some things that I've learned in my journey. Uh, I found that the road to wisdom is laden with pain, suffering, struggle and trial. And when you get through those things, when you've navigated those things, you come out with some things that can help others. Um, this is not stuff that people just told me. It's stuff that I've experienced myself. And I want to bring you in, share my journey with you a little bit and help you discover how to have peace and joy in your own life. So let's jump back in. We've got about 13 minutes left and I can't wait to share um, some closing thoughts with you in this episode. for the few remaining minutes that we have today, let's talk about the four different ways that Jesus redeemed our peace of mind. You know, for us to really get the effect of what Jesus did, we have to look at the validity of it. We have to look at the impact and the intensity of Jesus' crucifixion to understand the great pains that he went through to give us the peace that he died for. And we need to start right in my favorite scripture talking about his crucifixion is in Isaiah 53, four through five. This is an old Testament reference prophecy to what Jesus would do. It says, surely without a doubt, it has been settled. Take that word. Surely it's not a name of a woman. It is a fact that Jesus did it. Surely he took up our pain. He took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Now watch this. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. In fact, everything that we deserve, Jesus got. And everything that Jesus deserved, we get. That's what happened when Jesus died for us. You know, most of the things we worry about, if you really look at it, because of our sin, because of our straying from God, because of our rebellion, because of our mockery, because of our our sin, we really deserve some of the things, if not most everything we worry about. But Jesus said, nah, I'm going to take that. And in 
And, and in doing so, he gave us all of the blessings and benefits that come to him because he's the son of God. He gave us those blessings and he took our curses upon him. The punishment that brought us peace. Guys, you need to settle this today. I hope that by the end of this podcast, you get a good, solid revelation and, a, and an experience, begin to experience the peace that belongs to you. And then the scripture ends, and by his wounds we are, hit, are, we are healed. So there are four different ways that Jesus shed blood for our peace, particularly, particularly from his head, from the area of his cranium. And we're going to study that revelation, that powerful revelation. Number one, he sweat great drops of blood. In Luke 22, verse 44, it says that he sweat great drops of blood as he was praying. In fact, the Bible says he was filled with such agony that he began to pray. And in John 17, same scripture, same uh, story, different scripture reference. When Jesus began to pray, he was praying. If you read the scripture carefully, he was praying for generations to come. He was praying for you. He was praying for me. He was praying that the world might come to know him and the world might be joined one with God as he was in the beginning. And the, the clinical terminology is hematidrosis. It's when the blood capillaries burst into the sweat glands. And this typically can occur when people are suffering from extreme anxiety, acute levels of stress. Isn't that interesting? Um, and it's often accompanied by headache and abdominal pains. And historical references have even described this such as soldiers sweating blood right before battle or prisoners right before the execution. And I find it interesting that as Jesus was praying so intensely that blood began to come out of the pores of his forehead as his hands were covered with the blood and the sweat mixed together. You know, sweat equals self, uh, it, it actually equals self-effort in the curse. You know, in Genesis 3.19, Jesus said to Adam, he said, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Sweat is a, is a, was a result of the curse. You know, Adam and Eve didn't have to sweat it before, but now they do. They have to sweat it now because they sinned against God. So they, they entered into the curse, but through Jesus' blood, through his head in the garden and the agony that he felt, as that blood from his forehead poured out, the grace of God was released and wrapped itself around our fears, our worries, our anxieties, and all the things that we imagine will happen. Jesus redeemed our peace of mind and rescued us not only from fear, but he re rescued us from the self, the curse of self-effort, the self-effort to be righteous, the self-effort to please him, the self-effort to gain our holiness that curse was removed as Jesus began to sweat through his forehead. Number two, another powerful illust illustration of this in Jesus' crucifixion and torture was when he bore the crown of thorns. In Luke 8 and 14, thorns represent the cares or all the worries of this life. That's what Jesus said himself. And, and cactus thorns actually are supposed to bloom leaves, but they, they, they're cactus pricklers because they're, they, they grow that way in dry and arid places in the desert, in, in humid, dry areas, um, or I'm sorry, just in dry areas where there is no humidity. And Jesus went into the wilderness and, and faced the enemy and 
took the temptations and defeated him in the wilderness. And through, through those thorns, when, they, when the thorns came down on Jesus' head, those thorns, as Jesus said in eight, uh, Luke 8 and 14, represent the cares and worries of life. He took the cares and worries that we experience in our mind and he took that crown of thorns upon his head. And as the blood wrapped itself around that thorn, it literally was de delivering us from fear and worry and anxiety. This is so powerful. I'm telling you the validity of what Jesus did should put to death your fears once and for all. I don't care what your fears are. If they're for your children, you say, well, I'm supposed to be afraid for my children. No, you're not. You're supposed to believe for your children. You're supposed to pray for your children. You don't pray out of anxiety. You pray out of faith. You don't pray out of disbelief. You pray, oh, oh God, oh, I just wish that you would. No, God says, I will. Just cast your cares upon me. I care for you. Cast the cares and the worries that you have because Jesus took those thorns, those cares and worries, and as they dug into his skull, the blood that gives me strength from day to day, wrapped itself around those thorns and canceled out the fears and the worst case scenario for us, folks. This is so powerful. Number three, Jesus died on Golgotha. The word Golgotha means place of a skull, John 19 and 17. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place or to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. You know, Golgotha is interesting because it's a, it's a combined word. It means Gaul plus Goliath, Goliath from Gath. They say this is the place that David, when he slew Goliath, the giant, he took the head, he cut the head off the giant, and he buried it in a mound in the ground in Jerusalem. And it's interesting that when David killed the giant, he killed him with one stone to the forehead. You know, David picked up five stones. The number five represents grace. And, and all it took was one stone to kill that Goliath, that giant. But then the other four stones, they say killed, he killed the other, his other brothers and the other giants in the land. That's another story. But once he slew the giant in the middle of the forehead, he cut his head off. He took that head back to Jerusalem and he buried it in a mound in the ground. And they say that's where Golgotha is. The, and Golgotha was like a landfill. It was a place where death and garbage and blood and disease and, and, and crime and, 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 and all the terrible things that were associated with that place. Jesus, when he put that cross, when that cross came down into the mound of that ground, it was crushing the head of Satan according to Genesis 3.15, he said, uh, he, he was, God was speaking and he said, he, Jesus, will crush your head and you, Satan, will bruise his heel. It was a prophecy that when Jesus crushes the head of Satan, it would bruise his heel. In other words, the serpent would sting his heel, he would bleed, but that would be the thing that would crush the head of the enemy. So when the cross was raised on Calvary, that's a Another word uh, for cranion, which means cranium, when, when the cross came down in the top of the Mount Calvary, the top of the head of the enemy, it crushed his head. And that's where the center of all of our fears and all of our worries and all the lies and all the deception 
come. Jesus defeated that. And the final thing is really powerful. Jesus rested his head. In John 19 and 30, it says, Jesus said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The word bowed means rested. It's a Greek word called, uh, that's pronounced klino, which means to rest. Jesus rested his head so we could rest ours. He bowed his head and now we can rest ours. And, and that's a finished work. It means done. When Jesus said it is finished, he rested. You know, I looked up the word finished in Greek and it's interesting. It means finished. Isn't that powerful? This really means what it says. It's done. Colossians 2 and 10 says you are complete in him. Some of you are still trying to add to your life. One of the biggest fears I had, as I explained in, in, in the past episode, was that I was always trying to please God by good works and trying to make him happy and make others feel more pressure to do good and do right because Jesus was counting on them as if all of the gospel and all the things that were to happen was counting on us to get the work done. But Jesus said, it's finished. And because of that, we are complete. And I watch this. If you, if you read all of Colossians 2 and 10, it doesn't just say, and you are complete in him. It finishes who is the head. See guys, the problem is that we're, we're joined to our head instead of his head. We're, we're thinking our thoughts, but the Bible says, oh, how great are his thoughts toward us. How wonderful are his ways. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. So we need to disconnect from our scattered thoughts, especially when it comes to fears, and start believing that by his work, when he sweat great drops of blood, when he bore the crown of thorns, when he died on Calvary, the cranium, the place of the skull, and then when he rested his head, that the work is finished and the battle is over. You know, it's interesting that uh, during World War II, there were still prison camps where Jews were being held illegally because they had not got word that the war is over. But when the Americans and the allies and the victory and the word of that got into those camps, those prisoners were set free. And that's your problem right now. You haven't got the word yet that the battle is over that there's no need to fear. There's no need to worry. There's no need to worry about your finances. There's no need to worry about your children. There's no need to worry about your salvation. There's no need to worry about who you are and what you are and what your destiny is. It's powerful. It's, it's based on a promise and it's based on the finished work of Jesus. I hope this has been powerful to you today, but it's not gonna mean anything unless you believe it, unless you receive it. And you start taking proactive steps to believing in the validity of what Jesus has done for you so that you can live free from worry, fear, anxiety, and every mental battle that you face. Hey guys, this concludes our two-part series on head drama. I hope that some of the things I've shared with you today have helped you how to get ahead in life. And yes, I meant that to be a pun. But seriously, we need to get our minds back. We need to get our heads back. We need our headspace back. You know, when Jesus stepped into the water of baptism, the clouds parted. In Jesus, there is no more darkness. We are in the kingdom of his light. And I want light to surround your thoughts, light to surround your mind. Let's brush those clouds away. Let's get a clear vision for what's ahead. And uh, I just pray over you right now that if you're experiencing some difficulties in your headspace, we pray that the, the power of the Holy Spirit will just come in and remove that darkness 
and reveal his light to you in Jesus' mighty name. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode. Got some great content to share with you that's just ahead. And until next time, we'll see you.